I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... We want people, everybody, tacos for everyone. We want everyone eating more vegetables. So we're creating a vehicle in a hand-griddled corn tortilla for you to get your veggies in. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Our guest is Bettina Stern. She's the co-founder of Chaya, a restaurant chain, well, three of them here in Washington, D.C. That's a real local success story. This is built from the ground up. It's really interesting to to see how she and her partner made this a success. And as a kicker, you're going to find out there's a lot more local restaurants here in Washington, D.C. that come from the ground up, just like hers, that you might not have known, like Cava and Sweetgreen and many others. So stay tuned for that. Also, fresh farm-to-table a trend that ain't going away that she has nailed with her partner at Chaya. One last point. I ask her about some predictions and magic wand moments. And her wish for this world and nation is really, really motivational and inspiring. So here's our conversation. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Mark. It's great to be here. So the easy first question is sort of the origin story. You and your partner founded this entity when? So Suzanne and I have been cooking. Suzanne Simon is my business partner, and we've been friends for a long time. We began Chaya after many attempts at other nascent business ideas. We had an idea to basically take hand-griddled corn tortillas and fill them with deliciously, perfectly cooked local seasonal vegetables. We made it into a startup kitchen competition. We presented this idea to eight different judges, and the Founders of the Fresh Farm Market, which is the largest farm market here in Washington, D.C., came up and said, this is such a fabulous idea. You're sourcing all this produce from our growers. Which market do you want? So we chose a market that was not your typical farmers weekend farmer's market or nighttime farmer's market. It was a lunchtime market. Mm-hmm. It's every Thursday by the White House. It was 2013. We found ourselves as one of the original members of the first incubator kitchen here in D.C., Union Union Kitchen. Of course. Pick Pick of our table, best spot in the refrigerator for our goods, right next to the stove, right next to the ovens. Primo. Primo spot. Yeah. And one month later, we showed up to the White House Farmer's Market with a couple of folding tables, a 10 by 10 foot tent, some Uh, propane burners and some cast iron pots. And we filled them with three different seasonal vegetable fillings. So we had a creamy kale and potato, we had a braised mushroom, and we had a roasted butternut squash. Stop. I'm drooling. So good. And we showed up with enough food for 50 people on that May 3rd day, 2013. And in an hour and a half, we'd sold out. Just the two of us in the tent. Yeah. So the next week, we brought back a friend to handle cash because that was something I was doing with one hand while passing tortillas along to Suzanne. Occasionally, cash would sneak into a tortilla without you realizing it. (laughs) Nope, it didn't do that. And within six weeks' time of that first market, we had womaned and manned up our tent with eight employees. We were written up in the Washington Post, and we, by the end of that market season, of that three-hour market, we were selling 300 plus taco trios on a Thursday afternoon. We wanted a farm market that wasn't your typical farmer's market where you're supplying your, you know, you've got 100 
dollars in your pocket to to burn. No, we wanted to feed hungry people, and we wanted a diverse market of longtime Washington bureaucrats to the chefs at the White House to white shoe lawyers, white and case or wherever, to foreigners walking by, young, old, black, white, male, female. We really wanted to test this, this rather esoteric idea of putting only vegetables cooked to perfection, paired with tangy cheeses and house-made salsas, and the lines were outrageous. People would wait for over a half an hour to, to, so, to get so their trio. This is 2013. May, 2013. May 2013. A day that will live in infamy. Now, always a tent, not the not the food truck. We were, never were there food trucks back in those days. I shouldn't say it so like it's like the BC, but what was the food truck scene? There, there were some early food trucks. Suzanne and I had previously one of our one of our ideas that was ahead of its time beyond a food blog. Um, was the idea of bringing a mobile uh, kitchen to D.C. At the mm-hmm. time, the only way you could get a license to to have a truck was to sell cheap ice cream or CIA, FBI caps. And you'd have to go down to RFK, yeah. and you would have to get a lottery number, and you'd have to do that every single day, and then they would tell you what street corner you could stand on. And both Suzanne and I had three children at home, and happen. we were yeah. not going to do that. Yeah. So... Then we went on to found a food blog that lasted a number of years and grew in, you know, several thousand subscribers. And we still that wasn't the right idea for us. And eventually, because we were kind of always ahead of the, the game, we got invited into this startup kitchen competition. So why only vegetables? Are you a vegetarian? Was your partner a vegetarian? What was the, What's the status of that? So I am not a, a vegetarian. I eat a plant powered diet. I eat mostly plants. I try to fill my diet with you know, I don't have a percentage to give you, but mostly plants. Okay. Um, but I have not gone vegetarian. Suzanne is a vegetarian. The goal is really to get people to eat more vegetables. Vegetables yeah. are super delicious. Yep. I often call them the most luxurious item on the plate because they actually take the most work to deal with. Mm. You know, you got to grow them for a long time. Then you got to then you got to wash them. Then you got to peel them. Then you got to chop them. Then you've got to figure out what's the best way to yeah. season them. What salsa? You know, what what's going to complement right. their flavors? It's it ain't not hamburger. Yeah. It's not a hamburger where you add a little salt and pepper cooking and throw on some heat. And you've got a delicious food. You've got to work. You've got to work harder for vegetables, and they are delicious. And so we want people, everybody, tacos for everyone. We want everyone eating more vegetables. So we're creating a vehicle in a hand griddled corn tortilla for you to get your veggies in. Before we get to your actual brick and mortar facilities, hand griddled corn tortilla. Forgive me for asking, but is hand griddled? It's a feature you've mentioned. Is that an it's an important feature? It is. So Why? because both Suzanne and I have spent a lot of time in Mexico, and we love Mexican cuisine, high and low, street food to the finest restaurants. But the thing that makes Mexican food so wonderful is masa. And there, it's used in so many different dishes in the country. So masa is basically corn flour and water. Mm. It's a dough. We add some extra virgin olive oil, which is one of the you know ingredients. We add some uh, kosher salt to add some flavor. And we make a big dough in a bowl. And then we roll bolitos about the size of a golf ball. Then they are hand-pressed with a little $10 cast iron hand press and thrown onto a comal, which is a round plancha or round griddle, yeah. and cooked 
both sides, and you've got a hot, steaming, yummy, delicious tortilla. And so this is it's a great old, vehicle. This is not the old El Paso that I buy in the Giant. Clearly, the the, the amount of time. So the freshness and the taste is way different. It's way different. Yeah. It's yes, it's Beautiful. way different. Now we don't we're not nixtamalizing the the flour itself. We are buying a you know a organic GMO yep. free um, masa harina, but we are hand making it daily multiple times in okay, all of our so stops. This is this is great. So so the tent clearly day one fifty people bing done, then hundreds lines people waiting. When did you decide? And bluntly, how, if I may ask, how did you amass the capital or the capacity to rent and get into the actual restaurant business? So the last market of 2013 was October 31st, and everybody in the tent dressed up, of course. Of course. And that very same day, the Washington Post named us one of the top nine tastemakers in D.C. All right. So we were trying to create a business, and we realized we had something that had legs. We asked Fresh Farm if we could go into the winter market at um, DuPont Circle and whether we could cook throughout the whole year. We wanted to be able to source vegetables all year long. Okay, we added eggs on Sunday mornings at the DuPont Circle market to equal the amount of success. So we started to write a business plan. And in September of... 2014, I know all the dates, September 1st, 2014, they're burned into my memory. We took our food up to New York. At the time, I had uh, had an apartment in New York, and we invited a group of potential investors who happened to be in the private equity world. Mm -hmm. And we recreated a meal in my, in my, in my, in my little apartment, and we talked for probably three hours. And by the end of that meal, these folks said, we want in. We're in. We're in. And we had drawn up a, a memorandum with our lawyer. Yeah. Initially, we were just going to do friends and family. We, we realized we had a concept. It was the right time. We were riding that wave. We had caught the crest. We weren't too early. We weren't too late for this plant-powered, yeah. plant-forward movement. And initially, we were just going to take friends and family money. And then we met these investors, and we went back to our lawyer, and we said, we're actually going to bring in some strategic Let's investors. Add a zero to that number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to bring in some some strategic investors that actually have the experience to help us do this. And mm-hmm. he said, "Oh my gosh, they're going to want a part of your whole your whole concept." And we said, "That's fine. That's the way we're going to grow." And November 2015, we opened up our first brick and mortar in a little um, single well, it's a um standalone building in Georgetown. We, there's nothing on either side of us on a one-way street going the wrong way, gambrel roof, imagine a barn. And we were the first tenants in this building. The building was built over 80 years ago by our landlord's grandfather and was run for 80 years as the same business. It was a general contracting and fine woodworking business, three generations of men. It looked exactly like it had in 1940 when it was built. So dust on the floor, the whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing. And we we did very little to change its originality. So we opened up there in November 2015 and hit it out of the park. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's Bettina Stern. We're talking with Bettina about her company, Chaya, here in Washington, D.C., with pop-up tents that was the beginning of the success story and actual restaurants everywhere. Well, we have more with her about the arc of her career and the arc of success that her company, Chaya, is enjoying after this break. 
Schultz working in Washington. We talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a DC insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. So thanks for listening. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. Many of our guests have come to us from others who say, hey, if your show's about people who are really getting things done in the region, you should really be talking to dot, dot, dot. And we love bringing those new voices to our audience. We look forward to hearing from you. What's working in Washington? I'm your host, Mark Walsh. We're back with Bettina Stern. She is the co-founder and grand poobah, or co-grand poobah, I guess, of Chaya, a restaurant chain of three fantastic stores with an amazing origin story, starting with tents here in Washington, D.C. Again, Bettina, it's great to have you with us. Thank you very much. So we were talking sort of how you got started, the dates that are etched forever in the marble of your memory, and I get that. But where are we today? Like, what? Are, give me some numbers. You're in three bricks-and-mortar facilities— one in Georgetown you mentioned before we, uh, we, we we took a break. Two more. How quickly did the second and third start after you got the first one in Georgetown? So we opened up Lo- uh, Georgetown in the week before Thanksgiving in 2015. January 2019, we opened up our second location between 6th and 7th on I Street. It's a larger, very beautiful space. So that's 2019. When did the that's third hit? The third, we just opened in September, late okay. September. So fifth, late 15. In Bethesda. Early 19, now in Bethesda. Fantastic. In Bethesda, yes. And give me some volume. Like, like, what's a typical day? So in the last number of years, we've sold over three and a half million There you go. Tacos. A lot of tacos. Georgetown remains our sort flagship. of flagship that- banner store. It's still got a, a large concentration of people seven days a week. We took a hit in the pandemic with students gone, yeah. but we pivoted right away, of course, because we're an elevated fast casual. So we were always, our model of food was given to you in a compostable to-go box. Yep. But because we're two women running a business, the whole focus has been on hospitality. So yeah. we invite you to stay, even though the food that we're giving you is in, in, in a compostable to-go box. Initially, 2020 hits, and we've got to change things, and we've got two stores, and Suzanne shepherds the Chinatown store through this pandemic, and I shepherd the Georgetown store through this pandemic. Last March, an opportunity came to us to move up to Bethesda. Mm-hmm and take an opportunity there. And we're in what was a former ice cream store for decades. It was haagen last. It was Gifford's before that and on Woodmont Avenue. It's the right box economics. It's 1,300 square feet. Seating for up to about 24 people. Excellent. And we have patio chairs outside. But we're also, the model is pick it up and go or come stay with us. Yeah. The music's always on. Beer and wine license happens this week. We're waiting for the email. Congratulations. And um, the other two stores have beer and wine and 
cocktails, house-made cocktails. We do a chaya margarita with a little chipotle agave that just gives a little slight... A little sousson of... A uh, little okay. kick. Yeah, yeah, a little kick. And what um, are the price points? Like, what, what, what would be a typical meal, a dinner, if I took my spouse out for a lovely evening? So we've gone back to our farm market pricing on a taco trio. So a taco trio is $11. Wow. Today, Bargain. we've got a smoky collard greens taco. We have a cumin roasted cauliflower. We have chipotle sweet potato hash. Yeah. For the less vegetables savvy, we've, we do a scrambled egg with our most delicious black beans. We've also got a lot of things that aren't tacos. We do not tacos. We make these enchiladas, braised mushroom enchiladas, black bean enchiladas. We do tostadas. We so do I'm, quesadillas. Wait, I, I'm having a Pavlovian response here, but I just want to tell those listening, it's Chaya Tacos is the website. That's C-H-A-I-A-Tacos.com, ChayaTacos.com to get the full... Uh, the full menu that you've been giving us verbally. Yeah. So three stores, let's go future. So the goal is to keep growing. Keep growing. Mm-hmm. In D.C., or do you see yourself in the DMV? So Maryland, the, beyond the district, Virginia, the East Coast, what's So the next step for us is to open something, one or two up in northern Virginia, and that's what we're looking toward. We would like to get to probably five or six stores in this region so that we can then look beyond this region. Yeah. We needed to learn how to scale, how to transport, how to how to move and distribute our own stuff throughout our different shops. We do a house-made, two house-made iced teas. And so those are made in our downtown location and bottled and tamper-proofed and supply set up. Supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. You're an example We're of our very own supply now, chain. Now, you and I are New York transplants. Mm-hmm. So you came to D.C. a while ago. What is it about the D.C. region that you think has helped your success? I mean, are you glad you started here? Yeah, this has been a, a it's a very friendly market to do things in. It's less competitive feeling. In fact, our competitors, I really consider them friendly competitors and friends and even mentors. Wow. So I will call the CEO of Kava if I have a question or my pals at Shook or Little Sesame we try to partner up with local businesses, and it's it's an environment that works really well together. In fact, I just went to a mixer that the area director of Shake Shack, yes, that seems antithetical to, to Chaya, but not at all because Danny Meyer, who's our, you know, our hospitality guru yeah. has is has a charge of people doing amazing things throughout the world, really. And Shake Shack's area director had a wonderful mixer for industry people because we've all not been able to be together for the last couple yeah. of years. Yeah. And it was well, lovely. Let me, let me drill down on that because farm to taco, obviously farm to, that's sort mm-hmm. of a phrase that's becoming more popular for all the right and wrong, maybe all the right reasons, some wrong, I think. I think they're mislabeling. I think people are... Maybe some folks are kind of extending it a little bit more than they should. Have you found the farms here to be friendly, to be supportive, to be productive? And how have you built that network? Initially, when we started out in the farm market, we were only sourcing from farmers that were really within this watershed, mostly through the Tuscarora Organic Growers Cooperative, which was a consortium of anywhere from 15 to 30 Amish farmers, mostly in Lancaster, Pennsylvania area. And they each would grow you know, one or two different crops for customers. And we'd have to compete with big restaurants, you know, fine, fine food. Oh, they've got squash and be the first to order five crates, yeah. you know. They've since, unfortunately, disbanded. Oh. Um, and we've also grown too big to just source from local farms. We're not big enough where we can own our own farm right. and grow everything. But 
Our best practices always base around what is local and seasonal, preferably organic, and we try to stay within this watershed. Yeah. It's hard to do that all year round. So we only source domestically, um, but during certain seasons, we may have to push a little further. We we might go up to New Jersey while corn is still really popular on our menu. Right. Um, but by the time it's gotten, I'm kind of make, riffing this, but by the time it's gotten to New York, it's too far. Let's move on to another vegetable. Right, right. You, it's you and your partner. Have you hired a bunch of staff? Who, who manages these types of details for you? And here's the unfair question. I spent a lot of time in venture and angel investing. How does scale happen in, in, in your business? And I'm sure there's some fits and starts. What are some lessons learned for scale that you're seeing or have experienced? Well, honestly, the learning curve doing Chaya over these last number of years has been very steep. We've had to learn at every corner, every turn. Learn by every, doing. Uh, learn yeah. by doing. Yeah. Um, and given COVID and, that, and the pandemic, then there was a whole new level of things we had to do. But no, we have hired um, along the way wonderful people to work with us. And I look at our director of operations, Juan. He has been with us for six years. Veteran. He came to us. He was still in college. Yeah. So he's a young director of operations. Right. He has grown, you know, with us, first filling tacos to now leading, you know, leading the team and being in charge of the team. And he's very much, you know, the three of us really do all the management. Mm-hmm. We are stretched Pretty thin, but we do have folks that we can rely on. I look at all three of our kitchens, and they're run by, you know, family members, sisters. So COVID must – I mean, you you mentioned earlier the challenge, and you're not alone. Two questions. A, did you – apply for and get any of some of the government funding for that, for that band, for the Band-Aid for the time. But B, I keep hearing how difficult it is for service industries, be it restaurants or whatever, to find talent to come back and, and, uh, and staff. What's been your experience there? So we were on it from the very beginning. It was really stressful. Those first three, yeah. three months were really stressful, applying for PPP, being at the front of the, trying to get to the front of the line of yep. all of these things. So making sure you were hitting the deadlines, grants, uh, getting new SBA loans to have some extra money in the bank at you know better rates, getting rid of all the credit card debt we had. We had a bunch of credit card debt that needed to get done. We're solvent now. At 19%. Yeah, month, we're solvent. Yeah. But PPP was really good for us. We would not have been able to stay alive without that. And equally as good was the RRF, the Restaurant Revitalization Fund. So that's been, okay. that's, that's been good for us. We actually never fired any. We never wow. had to let anybody go. When, when COVID hit, we had about 30 employees. Half of them were students, and they all went home, and that was grateful for us because they, they were leaving. They didn't, they, you know, they didn't need to apply for unemployment. Maybe a couple of them did, but mostly they didn't. And our two amazing managers, our general manager and our assistant general manager, both said that Sunday when we sat down and said, tomorrow we can't open our doors, they said, we're going to take unpaid leaves of absence. Wow. And they were our two salaried employees that, that you know, were the biggest hit for us financially. Angels. So they were amazing. And and we were basically able to keep every single employee who was willing to work working. So what was left went to work with Suzanne and I in the two shops of the willing workers. And the others wanted to take time off. They were you know, that's a great story. And we're not having any trouble bringing people back or finding people. It's I, I hear it all the time. I was going to say you're the exception rather than the rule. But Bettina Stern here with Chaya on what's working in Washington. We always ask our guests at the end 
a magic wand question. If you were in charge of everything for a day or a period of time, what would you get rid of? And then if you could add something, what would it be? Well, I'd never want anyone to go hungry again. In a, in a, in a, That's a macro goal. I like that. Yeah, and there is no reason with all the food. I'm, I don't want anyone to go homeless and hungry. And so that would be the biggest goal I would have. I don't ever want a child to go to bed with a hungry tummy. So that's something I would want to work on. So that's on. a curative stance. Anything, if I may just pr- pursue this a little bit, anything that is a regulation or a law or maybe an institutional kind of behavior that in the restaurant industry that you sort of wish you had it could sort of disappear? Any licensing? I mean, I, I don't want to I don't want to put you on the spot, but I know for some smaller restaurateurs or even food truck folks, they feel like there's some there's some barriers to to success. Uh, no, I will actually s- sort of be a contrarian on that. I think our mayor Bowser was amazing during this whole thing, and she All made right. some she made some real real changes that helped us sur- to survive. And one of those was cocktails to go on day two of the yeah. pandemic. Yeah, you know that was a bottom line. It was twelve percent of sales during for, during a long period of time. So, <laughs> sure, there's a lot of bureaucracy, but no, I d- not really. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exciting to hear. I mean. I believe that Mayor Bowser gets high marks from a lot of folks, but your frontline experience with her is very encouraging. It's great to hear. Bettina Stern, thanks for being with us here today. Thank you. Yeah, Bettina Stern from Chaya, co-founder, co-CEO of Chaya. That's Chaya Tacos, C-H-A-I-A, tacos.com. Check it out and be sure to visit one of the brick-and-mortar facilities that Chaya has here in the Washington, D.C. area. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Thanks for listening. taking a break to discuss some ways you might become a little more involved with what's working in Washington. There's several ways. Take a moment to rate us positively or negatively. We'd love to hear from you. Secondly, our audience is an obvious one. Folks that care about Washington, D.C. and the environs. Folks that care about the Federal News Network. Folks that care about our nation. If you'd like to have your message heard by that kind of audience, be sure to contact us for sponsorship opportunities. You can email me directly at walsh at AOL.com. That's W-A-L-S-H- at AOL.com. Yes, it's a dated email address, but it still works. Every week on What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a DC insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. So thanks for listening. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. What's Working in Washington is brought to you by a very talented team. We have our executive producer and editor, Tracy Madigan. Assistant producer is Anna DeGraff. And the theme music you enjoy is performed by the Sunbanders. You know, I often find myself wondering, what's great about Washington, D.C.? And then I'm reminded about our business, our government, our arts, our not-for-profits, our education arenas, all are fantastic and special, not only to our nation, but really to the world. I'm glad I live here. I hope you are too, and I hope that our show continues to give you some enlightenment, some information, some actionable intelligence, and hopefully some enthusiasm about what works in Washington, D.C. So once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network, and streaming as a podcast.